This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. We've all had moments where we felt like life was living us and not the other way around. And it can be difficult, especially in times of crisis and change, to feel like you are really holding the reins. So I have Dr. Reza Abraham, co-founder of In Control Group, on the line with me to discuss how you can take complete control of your life and career, add his systematic approach to that based on his book, In Control. Well, I guess let's get to the heart of the conversation today, which is going to surround essentially a lot of the content from uh, the book, right? Sure. So first of all, you have several pillars in the book that you mention that will sort of go through um, some, probably not all of them today, but mm. uh, things that will help you to focus uh, each area of your life in order for you to be in control of your life, essentially, right? So why can it sometimes be difficult to feel like you are in control of your own life? Mm. So first of all, let's define what is the definition of like living an in-control life. Yeah, sure. So in the book, the way that we define the living an in-control or living a working and in-control life is a life where you are in love with what you do. Mm -hmm. So that is something that most people, they know it, love what you do, do what you love. But there are another three elements there that people often forget about it. The second one is that love who you do it with, love who you do it for, and love how you do it. It means how long you do it, from where you do it, when you do it. And when I started to do these comparison studies and asking people who are in a similar situations, and I try to see like what takes this person to achieve those extraordinary results. And what I found was very interesting is that sometimes people, they love what they do, but they don't really enjoy or in love with the people who they are doing it with and for. Or sometimes they do have that, but they don't love how they are doing it. It means like how long they're doing it. They don't have any work-life balance and their life is basically like completely out of control. So the goal here in living an in-control life, it's not about like that in a very cheesy way that you can say like, oh, you can actually control everything around you. But what we're trying to explain in living an in-control life is that just be responsible for the things that you can control so that you don't have to apologize or worry about the things that you can't control. Mm. So that is basically if I want to put it in a very simple way. And I would like to highlight also uh, the way that we look at the living and control life, we look at it in a very systematic way. So the word system itself, it's a, it's a lesson that I've learned many years ago from this guy by the name of Bob Burke. He said, system can help an ordinary person achieve an extraordinary result predictably. So my goal when I was writing the book was not for the people who are like extraordinary or super talented. We are talking about like ordinary people, regular people who can actually achieve an extraordinary result. Mm. And I think it's also really important in this moment to also address that um, the fact that you're saying not everyone necessarily can be in control of everything, because I think that is something that um, comes with its own privilege, right? The choice to be able to, for example, you know, um, have your own agency in terms of who you work with or what you do is not afforded to a lot of different people. But mm. this is not necessarily about playing into the farce that you can definitively have control over everything in your life. But it's just saying, look, here are all of these areas in which, you know, if you can change something about it, this is how you would do that. Right? Or if you would like to feel more in control of this aspect of your life, this is how you would do that. It's not 
a demand to sort of uh, ignore the realities of <laughs> of of yes. like potential privilege, right? And and it's just like th- these are some helpful guidance and structures in place um, to help you there. So I think precisely, yeah. I think where we will start is with the uh, kind of core, the beginning of the book, where you start with uh, talking about consciousness. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me why you start with that and what that actually means in the context of an in control life? Sure. Let, let me bring you back to the point that just now you mentioned, uh, and I will take it from there. So living and in control life, it's a progressive journey. It's not an end goal. It's not a destination that you reach to that point and say, okay, look, I'm already in control of every aspect of my life. And even if you ask me right now, I would not be able to take all those elements, right? But this is the most important part. Living and in control life it's a life it it's a life where it doesn't happen by accident it means that you don't accidentally live and control life it's an intentional process and that's exactly bring us to the core of living and control life it means that when a person become conscious that hey i'm not happy with my life I'm not in control of most of the things that are happening to me. And you don't have to expect it to become in control by accident. That is very, very important. You see, you don't don't accidentally lose 5 kg. You don't accidentally get rich. You don't accidentally get educated. You don't even accidentally gain 5 kg. You eat the food. So everything happened to us is pretty much intentional. So having that consciousness... At the core of the whole model, it means that the day that you become aware that I want to get my life in control is the day that the journey gets started. Mm. As simple as that. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's just being, I suppose, like aware and mindful of what you can control and taking the time to acknowledge that while, yes, there are plenty of external factors that are not in my purview to change, but there's definitely some things that I am able to have my own agency over. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I think you're putting it perfectly in place because it's all about being responsible for the things that we can control mm. so that you don't need to be worried about all the things that we we, we can't control it, at least for, for the time being, for mm. right now. So in the book, you actually mentioned quite a few, I guess, categories or uh, keywords that are elements of your life that you could take a look at. Uh, in terms of living an in-control life. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're not going to necessarily go through all of them because there are quite a few. But I do want to uh, talk a little bit on the idea of communication. Uh, That is one of the uh, tenets, I suppose, of the in-control life. And more specifically, I think it's really interesting that communication remains a topic that we keep trying to figure out. I think there is a difficulty in understanding how to communicate Um, clearly and transparently to different people. Um, So it remains uh, this source of strange contention for many people. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. In a way, I guess the question is, like, why can't we seem to get communication right by now? Mm. So the the way that we define the the communication as one of the 12 pillars in the book, Mm -hmm. it's uh, your ability as a person to make everything super simple so that everybody can understand. But the problem with the communication often, Christine, it comes back to the person who is the receiver 
of those messages that it comes to us. This is what like, you know, Stephen Covey, uh, many, many years ago, I think he, he, he said that um, it all starts with the listening part first, right? So make sure you understand and then only you expect other people to understand you. And listening, I think, sit at the core of the whole communication skills. I, I, have, I, have, I have personally thought in my professional life, I always thinking that, you know, I'm an excellent listener. But I was going through uh, one mentorship session with one of my mentor many years ago when I was in my early 20. And I asked him, I was going through this exercise called Joe Harry Windows, where, you know, they share about like, what are the areas that you can improve yourself, but you are not very sure about that. So he, he, I asked him, like, you know, so what, what are the areas that I can improve myself? And then straight away, he looked at me and said, I think you can improve on your listening skills. And when he said that, the, my first impression was like, you know, listening? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know what I'm doing for a living? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a consultant. I'm, I'm obviously a very good listener. And he looked at me and said, oh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It means that if anyone tell you that you got to improve on your listening skills, it's simply meaning that, and you become very defensive if for sure you are not a good listener. Because sometimes we think we are a very good listener, but only with the strangers, with the people who are around us. Yeah. But sometimes when it comes to our loved one, the people that they are closest to us, we are a, we are a horrible listener. And I have seen many people like that. So the reason actually most people, they get the communication wrong is simply because the receivers got, got a problem. So that's why one of the major hacks that we often tell people, I mean, whenever I talk to any leaders or any individual and they ask me like, I want to improve my communication skills, where do I start? I would say, learn to become an excellent listener. It means pause. Sometimes you don't have to respond immediately. You just have to take it all in. Even if you don't respond to it, as long as you're willing to hear people out, that is the very first step in building your communication pillars. 100%. I think, you know, this is something that I find particularly fascinating because I think a lot of people have conversations with the intent of thinking of their response, right? It's mm. not about actually taking in what the other person is saying. It's about waiting for the moment that you can get back into the conversation and sort of formulating that part of the conversation in your head before you're even thinking about actively listening to someone else. Exactly. And that's a exactly. huge issue, right? I mean, take, for example, in the workplace, if you're doing a review of an employee and your employee is sitting there going, I have these concerns about my performance. I have these concerns about, you know, how I would like to improve. And you're not listening because your brain is going, but I think I know what I think I need you to improve mm. on. And that in and of itself can contribute, you know, I mean, then you can sort of extrapolate from there, right? If you're not listening to your employees and your work environment isn't going to be particularly productive uh, because you're not gelling with what's actually going on down on the ground. So I think that is particularly interesting. Um, I think that's that topic, Kristen, by itself. It's like a huge topic. That I think could we be can a talk show on that. itself. Like, <laughs> we, can, we can do a different show on this <laughs> one, you know. Because receiving feedback from someone, mm. I think it's a... It, it's not only about Malaysia. I think it's a whole Asian thing, you know. Mm. Asian countries, most of them, they score very, very low in terms of psychological safety yeah. when it comes to the power distance index. And uh, most people always thinking that, you know, if, I, if I'm receiving a feedback from someone and if I don't reply back, it's a sign of weakness. But actually, that's not really true. It's called meekness is a strength under control. So when you are 
listening, when you are not just keep on saying something, you have the control over what goes out of your, your mouth, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why they often say it's better to, to fall on your feet than fall on your tongue. Because once you say something, you can never get it back. And that's, that's like really, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways in which uh, our listeners, ironically, can become better listeners themselves? Uh, I think I think the most important part of it is that to learn how to pause. And that is like a really, really big lesson. So I learned it, first of all, when I was reading a book from Napoleon Bonaparte. He said like, you know, whenever he was very, very angry on any of his generals during the World War. So he always write down the nastiest letter to them, but he never sent it out. He just keep it in his drawer. The next day, he just wake up, look at the letter, and he asks himself, am I still going to send that out? But in 21st century, basically, we don't need to do that. Sometimes you just can say this sentence, which this is one of my favorite sentences as a consultant I've been using for a very, very long time. So these are the steps that we do. The first step, you mirror the person. It means that whatever the person say, you just say, let me see if I got it. So you're saying this, 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 this. And then you ask the person, did I get it? So the person say yes or no. And here's the most important question, Kristen, to ask. Is there anything else? Is there anything else? Because again, because of the respect that we have, and I think this is again a very Asian thing, we often keep it to ourselves. When somebody's sharing something with you, I can guarantee you there is always layers of emotions and respect that the person is not telling you what exactly they want to say. So they just keep it to themselves. And then finally... You just say, I understand what you're talking about right now. If it was your fault or something, if it's something that it's like you need to acknowledge, you just say, I'm sorry for making you feel that way, not I'm sorry if I make you feel that way. And this is the last sentence you just need to say. You just say, I might say something wrong. Give me a day and I will get back to you. That's all. It means like you simply do not need to even answer anything, but make sure you get back to them. Fantastic. Well, we'll take a short break for some messages, but after that, I will continue my conversation with Dr. Reza Abraham, co-founder of In Control Group, about some of the findings and insights from his book, In Control. Do stay tuned to Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Build fortunes modestly. BFM 89.9. listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong and on the line with me today is Dr. Reza Abraham. He's the co-founder of In Control Group and today we're talking about some of the insights from his book In Control and the whole book is basically about a systematic approach to being in complete control of your life and career. Before the break we talked a little bit about how it is not technically possible to be in complete control of everything but how the book is trying to help you find a structure to take control of the parts of your life that you can control. And we also talked a little bit about uh, consciousness, why that is important in the first step to leading in control life, and also communication, why we can't seem to get it quite right. Uh, Another pillar that I would like to talk about at this point um, is compass. Uh, In the book, you define this as uh, all about making sure you're in the right direction. But that seems like predicting the future. I mean, you know, from from a sort of third-party perspective, that sounds insane, <laughs> right? Yeah, so tell me a little true. bit about why that's a pillar and exactly what you mean um, by making sure you're in the right direction and how you can even do that. All right. So compass defined as your ability to get out of your comfort zone and making this making the right decision. 
right? And that is like really, really important. So making the right decision, oftentimes, it is not the easiest job on earth, right? Because uh, life is short, not every risk worth taking. And we want to make sure we make better decision. So the problem with most people is that they want to go through every trial and error on their own. And this is what we learned it many years ago. I think uh, it was Richard Dawkins. He wrote the book, The Selfish Gene. He said, adults who only learn from their own trial and error will always lose to adults who learn from other people trial and error. So the best way to fix our compass, which is basically the goals that you have in your life, you know, the the personal goals or like work-related goals that you have in your life. And that is a very important one. So the way to fix our compass, if I want to make it like a quick, I mean, I wish people to read the book to reach to this point, but I want to make it super short to tell you exactly what needs to happen is to have mentors. Uh, a follow-up from there is, how do you find the right mentor for you? Mm, very good, very good question. So this, this is, I think, I think is, is one of the most critical questions that people often ask. Is like, where do you find all these guys, right? You know, where, where, where is these people? The problem with most people is that, first of all, which area do you need to look for a mentor at? And that is something very, very important. Because most people, they're looking for the mentors on their weaknesses, But actually, that's wrong. You're not supposed to look for the mentors on your weaknesses. You want to improve your weaknesses? You better go and read some books. You better go and attend some training. If you want to find a mentor, a mentor should be someone who can bring you from good to great. It means that it's already your strength, but you you want to become the best in that area. And that's where the job of the mentor comes in. So now the question here is that where do I find all these guys? You can always look around and find people who are maybe like, you know, through your your colleagues, through your friends, family members, and so on. So finding those people is often is not difficult. But you know what makes it very difficult, Christine? Is the problem that people always looking for an ideal person who got it all figured out. Even I myself, right now that I'm talking to you, I have four mentors. So one of my mentors, I only talk about my finances. One of them, business. One of them, health. One of them, relationship. In fact, the guy who is in a very good relationship, he doesn't have any money. The one who has a lot of money, his relationship is bad. (laughs) So it means that it's often very, very hard to find one person who got it all figured out, right? So here's the thing. What if I can't find that person? So here's the quick cut. Here's the shortcut that everybody can do that. Just go to Google, search for the areas that you want to become the best. And Christine, there are thousands of people who has already achieved what you're trying to achieve. So you're not necessarily need to have a mentor in a face-to-face version of it. I mean, of course, that's the best type. But if you can't find that person, because it's pretty hard, frankly speaking, You can always find people, you can read their biography, you can read their books, you can watch their videos. There's so much you can actually learn from them without even seeing the person in like face to face. Mm, Absolutely. Fantastic. I think from here, uh, let's move on to uh, a different pillar, uh, which is competency. So Mm. I think that is particularly interesting because right now we're we're looking at the fact that the pandemic disrupted all of us. We're looking at the fact that it forced all of us to realize that we have so much more to learn. And with that came this intense focus on the need to not only upskill, but to reskill, to be able to equip ourselves with a new 
version of being competent, essentially, sure. right? So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So the way we define the word competency, it's about your knowledge, your skills, and experience that you have. So this is what I found very interesting about competency, is that your competent level is equal to your confident level. So the more competent you become, the more confident you become. And that is a big question for a lot of people who often come to us and say like, you know, I know my stuff very well by going in front of my boss and I forget everything, right? Why is it like that? The, the simple answer that you lose your confident level is because you are not really expert, for example, at presentation yet, right? So what are the best ways to do this one? I think one of the most important lessons that I would say everybody needs to look into it is to develop growth mindset. So growth mindset is a concept has been introduced by Carol Dweck many years ago. She wrote the book. So the problem with most people, they are having a fixed mindset. It means that they often know something and they're expecting everybody to adapt to them rather than they go and upskill or reskill themselves in order to learn something so that they can improve themselves. So developing the growth mindset, I think, is the first step in order to, do, to, to fight what we call it as one of the symptoms, which, which the name of it is called destination disease. It means that you already reached to a point and you are thinking like, you know, no, Things going to go back to normal. I think this pandemic is going to end. And then we're all going to go back and do the same thing as we have been doing before. And I seriously, I don't want to be the, the, the messenger of the bad news here. But frankly speaking, everyone needs to know that we're not going to go back to normal. It's almost impossible that's going to happen. So everybody needs to learn to upskill and reskill themselves. So the question here is that how do I do that? This is one of the most important things. The decisions that you're going to make in the next few years is going to determine your future. One of those decisions is to make sure if any audience here we have who are still working or you are about to join, for example, an organization, please make sure you're joining a learning organization. A learning organization is a type of organizations that they really believe in developing and training individual. They're constantly challenging everyone to get out of their comfort zone and try something new. Not the organizations that they're often trying to basically like, you know, punish people if they make a mistake. They have a fixed mindset and they don't believe that, you know, things are going to change. So because we don't know what exactly the change is going to be, it's like what you say, it's very unpredictable the best bet that I would personally put my money on joining a learning organization, the companies that their directors, their owners, or if you are an owner, make sure you turn your company to a learning organization so that you would be safe with any form of upskilling or reskilling in the future. I think I, I, I need to quote again, uh, Yoel Noah Harari, uh, he, the author of Sapiens. He wrote a book called 21 Lessons to 21st Century. And in the book, which I, I quoted also that part, which I use it in the, in the same context as well, is that the future of work, Kristen, it's almost impossible for anybody to pursue perfection. Mm. Because you can see how agile the world become. And it's like things are changing so, so fast. So he emphasized one of the biggest lessons for everyone who is listening to us is that the future of work, the future of a skill 
you perhaps you may not be able even to build an a, a, a what we call that a structure or a big home or something. So he said, sometimes you just need to pursue a tent. It means that learn what's the best and leave the rest. So because if you are wanna if you if you learn something and you want to stick with that knowledge for a very, very long time, you would become irrelevant to the industry super fast, super fast. So that's that's why it's is is very, very important to do that. Now, sadly, we have run out of time on this conversation, uh, but thank you so much to Dr. Reza for sharing uh, a little tidbit of some of the insights from the book. Uh, Just real quick before we go, where can people find the book if they're interested in reading about all the other pillars and all the stuff that we didn't cover today? Sure. Uh, I think the book can be found in uh, all the bookstores from Popular and PH Kinokonia. And also if online, you can actually find it on Shopee, Lazada, Amazon, Book Depository. I think all the platforms, they can find the book. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Reza, for telling us a little bit more about the In Control Life today. Most welcome. Thank you for having me, Kristin. You've been listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. I've been speaking to Dr. Reza Abraham, co-founder of In Control Group, all about some findings from his book, In Control. If you've missed any of today's chat, you can go ahead and find it again on our app, which is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play, and also on our website, bfm.my. This is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.